Thank you, Kaylee, for that special. Good to see you this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 8 this morning. We are going to still continue to study uh, our theme, the church under attack. We've been looking in the book of Acts. In, in the beginning of the book of Acts, we saw a healthy church. What makes a healthy church? And then as we worked our way through the chapters in Acts, we find now we come to a place where the church is under attack. The church is being persecuted. What's happening is the uh, disciples and the apostles are, are preaching and teaching the uh, uh, death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, and people are being saved. Their lives are being changed, and the religious crowd is, is not interested in hearing this story, nor are they interested in others hearing it as well. We're introduced to a man by the name of Saul. Saul is, is later going to be named, his name will be changed to Paul. He's going to become the great apostle Paul who, who writes much of the New Testament. But here in chapter number eight, his name is Saul. And Saul is persecuting the church. We find in verse number one, in Saul was consenting unto his death. That's Stephen. Earlier in the previous chapter, you find the stoning of Stephen, one of the deacons for preaching the gospel. We find at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they were they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, Philip was one of the deacons we read of previously. Stephen was one. There were seven men, if you remember that, they laid hands on these men and began to serve the church. Philip was second named. We find now uh, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And I like verse number eight. Verse number eight says this, and there was great joy in that city. Anytime, anytime Jesus is introduced to somebody, there's great joy. Anytime somebody that's lost, that's going through pain, that's, that uh, has great need, anytime Jesus is introduced to that person, there is great joy. And we find that here. Although the church is going through great persecution, there's great joy because the gospel is continuing to go out. We come to this chapter, we hear of this man by the name of Saul. Saul was a devout Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a man of the law. And Saul was angry that these new Christians, these followers of Jesus of Nazareth is preaching this new doctrine. What are they so angry with? They're, they're angry that Jesus is claiming that he is the son of God. They, they're angry that Jesus, uh, the disciples are, are claiming that that death upon the cross was man's uh, forgiveness of sin. That was the payment that, that all mankind needed. See, these apostles are not, not preaching the law any longer. What they're saying is Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. That, that if you put your faith and trust in the finished work of the cross, that you can have eternal life. 
And the Pharisees are, are not wanting to hear this. They're, they're preaching, the disciples, the apostles are preaching that Jesus is the resurrection. They're, they're preaching that he was placed in the grave and three days later he rose again, conquering death. And they're preaching this and, and thousands of people are believing this and putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's causing a great stir. Saul is led now in the death of Stephen. Saul is causing great pain for the church in Jerusalem. Imagine that going house to house. And if you're a, a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, they, they take the, the husband, they take the wife, they, they take anybody in that home that's a, a follower of Christ. And, and you've seen what they've done to Jesus. You've seen that they've just killed Stephen. And now they're taking men and women and placing them in prison just for simply believing that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that Jesus Christ is the resurrection. The church, I think you'd agree, is under attack. Believers are being killed. Believers are being taken from their homes. They're being thrown into prisons. They're faced to leave their homes. They're faced to leave their jobs. They're, 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 they're having to move away. This is an all out attack simply for putting their faith in Jesus Christ. If you and I were there at this time, I'm sure we would ask the questions, why? Why is this happening to me? I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Why, why is this happening? If Jesus is the way, then why are all these problems? If this is the truth, then, then why are we experiencing persecution? Do you, ever, do you ever wonder that? After you trusted Christ as your savior, you thought, why should I have any problems at all? I'm a child of God. I should, I should have no problems, no stress, no worries, no, no fears. I, I'm a child of God now. And then when that problem comes, we ask, why? If God loves me, then why is there problems? If God loves me, then why would God allow this to happen to his church? Why would my life be in such a turmoil after I got saved? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question, but I'm sure those thoughts are running through the mind of these thousands of people here in the New Testament church where they, they hear the glorious gospel and they, they by faith trust Christ and, and they're made whole and they're made new and their sins are forgiven and they found new joy in life and they're serving in the church and serving Christ and preaching the gospel and all of these problems come. I'm sure some even thought this. I had less problems before I became a believer in Christ. I wasn't persecuted. I wasn't thrown in prison. Stephen's life wasn't in jeopardy. Stephen had never been threatened to be stoned before he became a believer in Christ, before he became a deacon, before he, he uh, began to serve in the church. I'm sure just like us, as problems come, we wonder why. Why would these things happen? And I believe this, when trials like this come, it's easy to quit. It's easy to walk away. It's easy to look at the stress. It's easy to look at the problem. It's easy to look at the persecution. And I think it's human for all of us to say this, is it better just to quit? 
Why would anyone want to face problems? Why would anyone want to go through trials? Why would anyone hit a wall and think, you know what the best thing to do is let's climb over this wall? No, the the human nature says this, let's just turn, walk back, go back to where I was before I had all these issues, before I had this problem. It's too easy to quit. Someone once said this, the worst thing that ever happened to a church was the car, was the vehicle. Because if we don't like something, we just get into that car and we can drive as far as we need to till we find what we like. We live in a society where if we don't like something or if it gets too hard, we quit. If we feel like this isn't fair, we can give up. We see it in our homes. We see it in churches. We see it in jobs. Anything we do, if it gets too hard, we quit. My son was just a month or so away now from graduating from his combat medic training. And on a couple different occasions now, he, he'll call, he'll say, somebody, somebody ran away today. I, I don't know where you run away to on a military post, but, but they just, they grab their phone. They never forget their phone. They grab their phone, they grab a backpack and they just take off. And that happened this past week. Again, they're just four weeks away and, and, and it's getting difficult. It's getting hard. Just the other day, uh, uh, he, he had to get up at like 2.30 in the morning, guard duty at three, then uh, from three to four, then, then put all your gear on and, and do an eight mile march. Eight miles. That's cruel and unusual punishment. That's before breakfast. Then they get back and make a march a, a mile to, to, to the mess hall. It's nine miles before breakfast. He says, get to the place where people want to quit. Then hours of studying and testing and five different people this past week either ran away, failed out, or got disciplined out. Five people. It just got too hard and you quit. There's people this morning here maybe in this room or hearing this on Facebook or maybe you'll hear this message next Sunday night on our TV program. You know who you are. You're looking at life right now and you're wondering, should I quit? Remember when you're young and you meet your love of your life and, and you think there's no way that I could ever fight with this person. There's no way possible that we will ever not get along. I mean, she's beautiful, he's handsome. Uh, uh, we're just gonna live on love the rest of our lives. And then when that first argument comes, you look at that person and say, who are you? Why did you change? You used to be my knight in shining armor, and now you're awful. And it's easy to quit. Remember when you took that job of your dreams and you thought, this is exactly what I'm wanted. This is exactly what I've studied for. This is exactly what I long for. And it's wonderful the first little while, and then that first obstacle comes and you begin to doubt and question, should I quit? We get so easily frustrated or annoyed when life gets hard. Somewhere we got the idea that all is supposed to be easy. Everything's supposed to be painless. 
that when we trusted the Lord, life was supposed to, we supposed to live on easy street. All of our problems are going to be taken care of. All of our worries are going to go away. This persecution was so that God could reveal his glory. God wants to show the world that doesn't know him the God that he is. There is another side to trials. There's a, another side to persecution. There's the, why me? Woe is me? Why is this happening to me? And there's the other side, and that is this. What is God doing and what is God accomplishing for his glory through this? God is always at work. Listen to me, believer, this morning. Please hear me. God is always at work. God always cares about his children. Once you become a child of God, there's never a time that God says, you know what, I, I don't think I love you. I don't think I care much about you. No, God cares for his children. God loves his children. And just because you're going through persecution or just because you're going through a trial or just because you're carrying a burden in your life right now, it does not mean that God does not love you. It does not mean that God does not care about you. But what it does mean is that God has a plan and God is going to use that for his glory if you you will allow him. So what is God doing through this persecution in Acts chapter eight? What did these first century Christians do when persecution came? I want you to see a couple things here this morning that I see that they did, but I believe also today, these would be great ways for us to deal with problems, with persecution, with stress. I want you to see with me again, look with me, beginning in verse number one, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Saul was there promoting, egging him on. Well, what that means is this, when they took Stephen and they put Stephen in the middle there, and uh, what they would do in those days was they would dig a, a, a hole and, 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 and take a stake and put it into the ground there and, and, and take a chain and tie it, that chain to, to one end of that stake, and the other, they would put, normally they'd put it around like the leg of the person they would put in that pit. And they would be confined to that pit, and then they would take these big stones and, and gather around that, that hole and just begin to throw those stones down on top of that person. This person has no place to go. They can't run. They're confined to that pit, and they're confined to, uh, to, to that area, that, that, that chain, and, 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 and certain death there because of that stoning, and, and Saul was there. And as the men would come to, to take part of this stoning, Saul would say this, here, let me hold your jacket so it doesn't get dirty. Let me, let me hold your coat while you pick up stone. Maybe Saul even said, here, here's a really good stone. Here, throw this one upon him. He deserves it. He's one of those Christians that are preaching the gospel. He deserves to die. This is what the Bible says. Paul is consenting. He's, he's pushing. He's egging this on. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles were still there serving in the church of Jerusalem. We find in verse number two that these men, devout men, carried the body of Stephen away, buried him in tears. They were lamenting over him. I'm sure they were wondering, crying out, why? 
just, just a little while ago, there was Stephen and Philip and, and five others that we brought before the church and, and we laid hands on these men and, 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 and the Holy Spirit of God was present and, and these men were gonna do something great for God. We just knew it and, and now he's gone. I'm sure some are wondering what's gonna happen to our church. I'm sure some, as they lamented, they wondered, where is God? How could you allow this, God? I'm sure as they took and were lamenting the, the death of Stephen, they were wondering what is going to happen to our church just a little while ago. Boy, we were singing and praising the Lord and, and growing in thousands of people. I, I remember just a little while ago the presence of God coming down on that day of Pentecost and the Spirit of God saving those 3,000 souls and, and souls are being added. I remember that. And now we're, we're burying one of our deacons. As for Saul, he made havoc in verse number three of the church, entering into the house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad. And listen here closely. Because of this persecution, the Bible says, therefore, they were scattered abroad when everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. You know, although it would have been easy to quit, Philip is the second deacon that was named when they were laying hands on deacon. We find now Stephen is killed. Philip comes on the scene. I don't know about you, but if you were one of these deacons, these seven men, and you just saw the first one stoned, you might think, I don't know if this is a job for me. I mean, is there anything else that I can do in the church that maybe isn't so prominent? Is there another position I can hold? I mean, the odds aren't too good here. Stephen just got killed. And, but what you find is Philip, when he could have quit, he kept preaching the gospel. Here we find the church, Paul or Saul is going into the homes and, and taking men and women and taking them out of their own homes and placing them in, in prison. You would think that the average Christian there in Jerusalem would say this, it's time to quit. This has gotten to be too much. This is not what I asked for. This is not what I signed up for. But that's not what we find in verse number four. The Bible says they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. Hear me write this down, please. Although it would have been easy to quit, they determined to stay focused on the eternal. They determined to stay focused on the eternal. It's so often, if we're not careful, Christian, we get our eyes and our thoughts and our mind on the temporal things, the things of this world, the problems, the persecution, the stress, and we think that this is the best it's going to be. But not this early church. This early church who could have quit said we can't quit because there's an eternity that we're living for. See, the moment we get saved, we're not living for the things of this world anymore. We're not living for power and prestige. We're not living for self-gratification. We're not living for the lust of our flesh. We're not living for ourselves any longer. We're living now for Christ. We're living now for eternity. You see, before it was just get up eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now that they're saved, they said, you know what? There's a future, and the future might not be here on this earth, but there's a future for every single person in eternity. 
You see, Christian, how do you stick with it when persecution comes? You get your eyes off of the things of this world and you keep your focus and your eyes on eternity. You keep your focus on what Jesus Christ did for you. You keep your focus on the fact that God loved this world so very much that he sent his son to live a cruel, to die on a cruel cross so that you and I could have forgiveness of our sins, so that you and I can spend eternity with him. That is what our focus ought to be. They didn't allow their persecution to stop them from staying focused on eternity. Michelle and I were talking just a couple days ago. And she says, you know, we live in a society where it just seems like people just so easily quit. The word doesn't mean anything. If, 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 if marriage gets hard, I quit. If parenting gets hard, I'm quitting. If, if, if my job gets hard, I'm done. If church gets difficult, I quit. If following Christ gets hard, then I'll, I'll try something else. We, we live in a society that it's have it your way. Do what feels good. Live for the moment. Live for yourself. You deserve it. Be who you want to be. Live how you want to live. It's your life. You deserve happiness. But hear me today. You'll never find happiness. You'll never find joy living your life for yourself. The only way a believer can find true joy and true peace and true happiness is living their life for the eternal, living their life for Jesus. You see, listen to me today, please. This persecution was not meant to come and, and, and turn them inward. It wasn't meant to come to, to cause the church to be self-centered. It wasn't there to take them back from, from a break from giving the gospel. And so often, if we're not careful, us as Christians, we live life until problems come. And then we, we take a break from, from all things that we shouldn't take a break from. And we, we get inward-focused. We start thinking about me and how is this affecting me? When God didn't put those problems in your life and those trials in your life for you to just care about you, he put them there so that you will turn to him and his glory will be seen in your life. At times when struggles arise, we give attention to the wrong thing. We give too much attention to how this makes me feel. We give too much attention to, 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 to the wrong things instead of keeping our focus on the things that are eternal. Christian, listen to me today. Don't stay so focused on the problem that you quit on the solution. Could you imagine these church coming together saying, you know what, persecution's here. What are we going to do? Well, let's just get together. Let's huddle together. Let's stop, let, you know, for a period of time, let's just stop preaching the gospel. You know, for a period of time, let's just, let's just be considering what we're supposed to do. 
Let, let's put some groups together and maybe, maybe even get a little committee to come together to figure out what we're supposed to do with this problem. And listen to me, we stay so focused on the problem that we quit the solution. The solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The solution is us taking the gospel to a, no, uh, uh, to a world that doesn't know Jesus. And here, the church, instead of turning inward, what did they do? They said, we've got to take this message to the world, to Samaria, to Judea, to the uttermost. The gospel message is where the power of Christ is. I want you to write this down, number two, if you would please, in your heart. I want you to look with me in verse number six. Not only did they stay focused on the eternal, in verse number six, and the people with one accord gave heed unto these things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. You know what I find? Philip didn't quit. He just saw Stephen stoned. He just saw devout men take the body of Stephen in tears, lamenting and placing him into that grave, wondering what's going to happen to the church. Philip didn't quit his job as a deacon. He didn't give up serving the Lord. Instead, he went out and he began to preach the gospel. He began to, to heal. He began to do miracles. Look what verse number seven tells us. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. He went to those that were suffering and cast out devils. Philip isn't hiding in a cave. He's not sitting in a, in, a, in a basement of a home or the roof of a, a home uh, hoping that they don't find him. Philip immediately went out and began to look for those that needed the power of God upon them. He healed them. He, he cast out devils. The, the Bible goes on to say, and those that were taken with the palsies and those that were lame were healed. Those that had great needs, uh, Philip went out and began to preach and show them the power of Christ. Secondly, write this down if you would, please. They chose to live a life of power in Christ. They, they didn't live defeated lives. Hear me, this, this morning, too many Christians are living defeated lives. They're, they're living like they don't have power. Problems come, and listen, I'm not minimizing your problem. I'm not minimizing the fact that Stephen was killed. I'm not minimizing the fact that the church was going through great persecution. And I'm not minimizing your trial and my trial today. They're real, but what I'm saying is this. In the midst of our trial, we need to choose to live a life of power in Christ. We need to go out into this world and show this world what the power of God can do. If God's children can't live that life, who can? You know what Philip realized? There's power in Christ. They're not going to live defeated. The persecution came, but they weren't going to live powerless lives. Listen to me, Christian, this morning. You do not have to live powerless. You do not have to live defeated. You don't have to give up. You don't have to give up on your marriage. You don't have to give up on parenting. You don't have to give up on living. You don't have to give up on serving the Lord. There's power in Christ. It's available to you. You've got to choose to live a life of power in Christ. Philip said, I'm not going to let this persecution stop me. You're not going to get me to run. 
You're not going to get me to hide. I'm not, I'm not going to go live powerless. They went out and instead of moping, instead of complaining, instead of living a life of self-pity, instead of going around to a lost world and Philip saying, woe is me, I just wanted to serve Jesus. I just wanted to be a deacon. I just wanted, I just wanted to give my life to the Lord and all this persecution comes. I'm not quite sure why this is happening. I, I, I'm powerless. Instead of that, he went to a world that needed Jesus. He went to the sick. He went to those that were filled with devils. He went to those that couldn't walk. He went to those that couldn't see. He went to those that couldn't hear. And he showed them the power of Christ. Listen to me, Christian today, this world more than ever needs to see Christians living for their God. They, they don't need to see Christians giving up. They, they don't need to see Christians powerless. Last weekend, I said to my wife, I, I want to just, I need to get away for a little while. I need to rest. And I need to just take some time to pray. And, and um, I said, you want to go with me? And she says, yes. I said, where do you want to go? And she said, let's go see Jacob. I said, all right, we'll go see him. I'll rest. You go see your son. I knew not a whole lot of rest was going to be there because if you've ever been to San Antonio, they got like overpasses on top of overpasses on top of overpasses. And you know, four roads that go to the same place. But if you miss the exit, you got, I mean, turn around. It's just, don't go to San Antonio if you're, if you're trying to get rid of stress. It's a stressful place. So we went and we picked Jacob up and the whole goal was this. We're not gonna do anything. We're just gonna take him back to the hotel and we're gonna, we're gonna rest. Well, I found myself at Ross and TJ Maxx and I'd say to Michelle, you go ahead in and I'll sit in the car. Until my car, down there, my car, it's, you just leave it running in 110 degree heat and a light comes on and says you're overheating. And, and I come out and Michelle's like, what are you sitting here with the windows down in the car? And I said, "Never mind. long story. I'm not resting though, I'll tell you that. Saturday, we got Jacob back and there's a phone call all those that were off post had to come back on post and he didn't know sure why and they made him sit there in formation for a couple hours late into the evening. And Sunday, we weren't sure if we were gonna be able to see him or not. We picked him up, went to church and when he got back that night, he called. He said, um, you know, we found out what happened last night. He said the drill sergeants came in, his CO came in, they were in, in, in um, civilian clothes. Several of, of his uh, Friends that were there at school went out and they found a swimming hole between San Antonio and Austin and they were swimming, jumping off a cliff, uh, swimming and having a good time. And one of the ones that were 21, 22 years old or so jumped off that cliff, hit his head and he killed himself. He died. He said he came back and boy, the morale was down. People are... One now has been killed and people are being stretched to their limits. Those that he knows, several of them, few of them have either attempted suicide or th threatened to. 
These are 18 to 20 some year old, I call them kids, but they're young adults. Jacob said to me, he said, Dad, I'm just trying to be light. I'm just trying to be an example. When he was in basic training, I might've told you this, one of his good friends there in basic training, he'd sit and read his Bible in his bunk and they, they called him the Bible. That's a pretty good nickname to have. So they called him the Bible. But I don't think they were being kind when they were calling him the Bible, but that was his nickname in basic training. One of his good friends that he got to know well and really you know, would poke at him for reading his Bible on the 4th of July weekend, his best friend was killed in a car accident, hit by a drunk driver and killed. Best friend from high school. This young boy, this young man got the news after that weekend that his best friend was killed and he came over to Jacob's bunk and he says, is there anything in that Bible that can help me? You see what I'm saying, Christian, is we're not here going through persecution, going through stress, going through trials so that we can give up and walk away. We're here so that we live through these persecution and through this trial so that God's glory can be seen in us and through us. You have the answer that the world needs. It's the power of the gospel. We don't have to live selfish lives and self-centered life and defeated lives. We don't have to go around life saying, oh, look how bad life is and look how miserable life is. No, listen to me, we've got power in the gospel and we need to choose to live a life of power in Christ so that other people can see that there is hope, that there is answers, that there is power. You see, the situation that brings them to their knees, that crushes them, that they look and they say, there is no hope. There should be a, a child of God standing there as an example that there is hope, but you've got to find it through Jesus Christ. But when trials come and you're ready to walk away so easily and ready to quit and, and ready, ready to choose a powerless life, the world doesn't have hope. Listen to me, the gospel changes lives. It changed you the moment that you got saved and it can change others as well. It's the power of the gospel that sets man free. It's the power of the gospel that breaks the yoke of bondage. It's the power of the gospel through the power of Christ the lame walked. It wasn't Philip's power. Philip didn't walk there in his own strength and say, you can't walk here, I'm gonna heal you. No, he did it in the power of Christ. He did it with the power of the gospel is why he could heal those that were lame. And listen to me, it's the power of the gospel that caused the blind to see, the deaf they could hear, the evil spirits are cast out, the addicted are set free, the broken marriages are restored, the the uh, 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 ruined lives and, and sinners are made whole. And, and, and listen to me, that's where the weak find strength. It's in the power of the gospel. We don't have to live sad, unfulfilled lives. We don't have to live defeated lives because there's persecution, because there's trials. We have the power of the gospel as a, children, a child of God. We don't have to live a life where it's hopeless. When man sinned, death entered the world, but the gospel gives life. Listen to me, if there was no gospel, all of us would be hopeless. There would be no power. 
We just come together and say, make the best out of a miserable situation that you can. But listen to me, that situation, that persecution, that trial, that stress, that problem, that burden that you're carrying, there is hope because of the gospel. Listen to me, the worst thing a Christian can do is show the world that there's no power, there's no hope, there's no solution. The worst thing you can do in your persecution, in your trial, in your burden, is to live your life in such a way that there's no hope. Write this down, I'm finished. Number three, their decisions brought others to experience joy in Christ. I think this is probably one of the most thrilling verses in the Bible. Look with me in verse number eight. And there was great joy in that city. Why was there great joy? Because Philip came. Philip was being persecuted, but Philip didn't quit. The, 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 the uh, uh, Christians there in Jerusalem were being scattered, were being put to death, were play, placed in jail, but they didn't quit. Oh, they went to another city. You know what they did in the other city? They began to show them Christ. They began to live a life of, of joy, of victory, of power. And their decision brought others to experience joy in Christ. Hear me today. Your trial should put you in the place so that sinners see the grace of God. God has been so good to you. He's given you his son. He's showed you grace and he's shown you mercy. He gave us Jesus when we didn't deserve it. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to their own way. But the Lord had laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We don't deserve salvation. But praise God, he loves us. And in his mercy, in his grace, he still chose to save us. So what are you going to do with persecution? What are you going to do with that trial, that burden that you're carrying today? What are you going to do in your marriage today? What are you going to do with that, that, that stress at your job? Are you going to walk away from it all? Are you going to turn inward and say, you know what? I give up. This isn't worth it. Or are you going to say, I am going to take the power of Christ and I'm going to live in such a way so that other people can see the grace of God in my life and that they can have the same. Listen to me. Life isn't easy. But you have the grace of God. Someone said to me one time, hey, we want you to teach us how to raise children because you make it look so easy. <laughs> really? I've got a bald spot going back here. I've got grays coming in here. I mean, I'm 25 years old. Look at me. I look like I'm in my 40s. <laughs> Marriage is hard. Raising children is hard. Listen to me. Dealing with cancer, it's hard. Burying someone you love, lamenting, taking Stephen and God, why? That's hard. 
Some of you are facing some big things at work, and it's hard. You don't turn on the news and find hope there. Turn on the news and six murdered and 12 raped and molested and, and, and the world's going to war. Wouldn't it be great one night to turn on the news and say everything's great? Stock market's up. Everybody's happy. Listen to me, I understand we're living in a difficult time. But God's grace is sufficient. We've got to go out in this world and we've got to show them what a child of God can do with the power of God on their life. And we've got to show them the joy that you have in being a child of God. I'll tell you the truth is there's nothing I'd rather do than be married to the former Michelle Moak. Be the father of five wonderful children and pastor this great church. Am I saying it's easy? No. I got four girls. I got boys thinking they're going to date my girls. I got girls thinking they're going to date boys. <laughs> God's grace is sufficient. Don't quit. That one you can't get along with right now that you call husband or wife, don't quit. Put the power of Christ in that. Let God's grace be seen. You can make it. Parenting is hard, you bet. Well, we got a prayer list with more people on it. I'm at the place I hate the word cancer. God's grace is sufficient. Life's hard. But God's grace, God's grace. Aren't you glad you have God's grace today? Would you say amen to that? Father, we thank you and we praise you.